Good morning. How are you? Are you good? How good? Oh, you're great. All right. All right. So today we've got like three big ideas, and they teach you when you do a message or sermon or preacher school, you only do one idea. So I don't have just two ideas today. I have three, okay? But you're smart. You're a smart congregation. I know you can listen to all this. So I'm going to say, I'm going to get all three ideas. Say that. Look to the person to your right and say, I'm not sure they're going to get all three ideas. But the person on my left, they look a little smarter. They're going to get all three ideas, okay? All right, here we go. Um, what, happens, what happens today is Jesus is bothered. It's a very interesting passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 23 as we're doing the one week to live, the last week of Jesus' life. He is bothered. Now, you and I get bothered. What bothers you? If I were to ask you what bothers you, you could tell me a lot of things that bother you. Does it bother you when somebody sneezes in an airplane and they don't cover their mouths? How many, how many of you in the room that bothers you, right? And there's really not much you can do about it, right? The sneeze is out, the germs are out, you've caught, you know, whatever, you're done, right? Does it bother you when people change lanes without using turn signals? How many of you in the room, that bothers? How many of you do that? How many of you change lanes without turn signals? Okay, you need to take communion all over again, okay, because you're sinning, definitely. How many of you, it bothers you when somebody's like riding your bumper? I mean, they're like six inches from your bumper. How many does that bother you? You look in the rearview mirror, and you can tell whether or not they've brushed their teeth. They're so close to you, right? Does that bother anybody else, else in the room? How about you're at Publix? You got bananas. You're in a hurry, and the dude in front of you's got 23 items in the 10-item or less line. Does that bother anybody? But see, you can't say anything because they might go to your church right? You don't know who all goes to your church anymore. So I'm sure that kind of bothers you. Well, today, um, Jesus is bothered, but he can do something about it. And you know, it's one thing to be bothered and complain, but when you can do something about something, isn't that better off? So Matthew chapter 23, we're going to look at some of these different scriptures, and then we're going to talk about some things that we're bothered about as a church, but we can actually do something about it. And then on this Friday, we're going to ask you to buy into something, and we're all going to do something together this Friday as we celebrate Good Friday. We have two amazing services, one at 5, one at 7. This is probably my favorite service this Good Friday of the entire year because it's all of us and we're there proclaiming the cross, we're there proclaiming Christ, we're there proclaiming the goodness of God. I love our Good Friday service. So here we go. Matthew chapter 23, one week to live, Jesus is bothered. Matthew chapter 23, here we go. Then Jesus said, now I want you to see who's there. And just the next verse is going to talk about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. But first of all, Jesus is talking to the crowds. He's always trying to take people where they are to where they need to go. He always starts with the people. So he's got his disciples. He's got the crowds of people. Then look at the next verse. Then the next verse tells us the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, okay, they're they're all there. And what the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, they're trying to say, you know what? We now sit in Moses' seat. We're now the interpreters of the law. Now, 
last week Griffin preached. Did Griffin just do a phenomenal job last week? I'm so proud of him. I'm so, he just knocked it out of the park. One of the things that Griffin talked about last week was the fact that the Pharisees just exalted themselves. They, They didn't give, they weren't given this authority by God. They just took this authority and they said, you know what? We're going to be the interpreters of the law. And so what Jesus is going to be bothered about in these next couple of verses, he's bothered with their hypocrisy. He's bothered that they've set themselves up as teachers of the law. He's bothered that they're adding burdens. They're adding different things to people's lives that aren't even in the scriptures. He's bothered that they're interpreting the law and they're interpreting the scriptures in such a way that nobody could ever come close close to God. And all this just ticks Jesus off, but he's in a position to do something about it. All right, look at the next verse. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. In other words, God's word is true, but, but don't follow their example because they're, they're not keeping it. When they teach the law, the law is true, but how they teach the law, don't, don't follow them because they just don't have their act together. For they don't practice. See, he's mad. He's bothered. They don't practice what they preach. Look at the next verse. They crush people with unbearable religious demands. And they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Isn't that the opposite of Jesus? Jesus knows our pain. He knows our problems. He knows our struggles. But Jesus always takes us where we are. And he always moves us to where he needs and wants wants us to be. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. These guys were doing just the opposite of what Jesus would talk about. They crush people. They don't, they don't ease their burdens. Look at the next verse, verse 5. Everything they do is for show. Now, we don't get this, what they do, but we get this in why they're doing it. Okay? On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes. Now, what these guys would do, and, and, and these Jewish men would walk around with wooden boxes on their arms. They'd be wrapped around, and these wooden boxes... Now, before we put it down, it was actually for a pretty good reason. And there, there would be four different scriptures inside these wooden boxes. And these wooden boxes would remind you of the goodness of God. They would remind you that Jehovah was one. They would remind you that... So there were four different great verses of scripture in these wooden boxes. But these guys wore extra wide boxes. We want everybody to see we got the scripture boxes on. And then Jesus is going, are you, are you for real? And in fact, you know, Jesus tells us to let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. But the reason for that is to give God glory, not to give man glory. And everybody in the room has to figure out who you're going to make famous. Are you going to make Jesus famous or are you going to make yourself famous? And what Jesus is saying here is, is these guys are making themselves famous. So they're wearing extra wide boxes and then they're wearing tassels with scripture verses and they wear robes with extra long tassels. Again, this was given to them back in, in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 15. And so the tassels that would be on these garments would remind you of the commandments. So if I would see like your tassels and I would see your tassels and I would see your tassels, that would be good because that would remind me, okay, she and he are believers and, and, and they're all into this and that's the commands of God. But these guys are, are wearing great big robes with real long tassels down to the ground so everybody can see how 
religious they are. And Jesus is going, I don't know what he did, but that's my interpretation of it. In the next verse, okay? And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogue. It's what? It's all about what? All about them. Next verse. They love to recite respectful greetings. They walk in the marketplaces, and they love everybody to call them teacher and rabbi and doctor and reverend and whatever, okay? Next verse. Drop down a few verses. Jesus said, but the greatest among you must be a servant. Look at the next verse. What sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. That's what's bothering Jesus. They're hypocrites. For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And you won't go in yourselves and you don't let other people enter. In other words, you're not helping people get to heaven. And because of your incredible hypocrisy, you ain't going to make it either. Okay? Blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple but that it is the binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Let me explain this real, real quickly. Because all of a sudden, these guys are saying, well, if we swear by this, it's binding. But if we swear by this, well, we can kind of get out of it. Wink, wink, wink. And so Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Don't have all these swearing loopholes. Just just be real. Okay, next verse. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold of the temple that makes the gold sacred. Of the next little section then. And now he starts to talk about their tithing. This is real interesting because I've had at least four or 500 people the last 30 years tell me that tithing is not in the New Testament. And I say, well, what about Matthew 23, 23? And they'll say, well, I've never heard of Matthew 23, 23. I say, okay, all right, well, just, just read it. Just read it. I don't have to defend it. Just read it. So here, here's what he says. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the law, religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your, and, and other translations actually spell out the herbs. You're careful to, t- to tithe even the tiniest income from mint, dill, and cumin. It actually mentions the three spices, the three small spices. You're so careful that you're going to tithe your big income, but you're also going to even tithe your, your, your little bitty spices. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Yes. I love it when people tell me Jesus doesn't talk about tithing. How do you explain this? He said, you should tithe. But do not neglect the more important matters. The more important things are what? Your, your heart, your attitude toward people. The, the, the more important things is, is your attitude toward how you can make a difference. Look at the next verse then, verse 24. You blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat. Now, a gnat was the smallest of all the unclean animals. The, the, the smallest listed unclean animal was a gnat. And so what they would do is they'd get a cloth, put it over their water cup or jar, and they would strain the, their water from a larger jar, and hopefully they would, you know, not ever swallow a gnat. And Jesus is going, are, are, are you kidding me? You're so worried about a gnat? But you miss people, you miss justice, you miss mercy. You are you are you for real? 
And then he goes, he, you know, Jesus is, he, he, be, he is a great preacher, but, you know, he goes to hyperbole. You know what, just swallow a whole camel. Just go ahead and swallow the camel. But you swallow a camel in, in your spiritual life. Look at the next verse. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the law and Pharisee, you hypocrites? For you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup. See, this is where he's bothered, but he's going to do something about it. I love this. He's not just ticked. He's going to do something about it. For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, you're filthy. You're full of greed, and you're full of self-indulgence. And so Jesus comes, and he gives his life to clean you and me up on the inside. You've all been to churches where they try to clean you up on the outside. How'd that work for you? How long did that work for you? It doesn't work. And so our goal is to get you to fall head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. When you fall in love with Jesus, guys, you'll be better men. You'll be better leaders. You'll be better dads. You'll be better husbands, women. We want you to fall in love with Jesus. You fall in love with Jesus. You're the, you're the godly woman God's created you to be. Wives, mothers, women, whatever it is. Our, our goal is not to change you on the outside. We're not trying to clean you up. We're trying to fill you up. We're trying to fill you up with God's wonderful spirit and, and his nature. And then everything begins to change. And so, so God sees this. And Jesus recognizes this. And he gives his life to clean you and me up from the inside out, and, it, and our behavior then begins to change. Look at the next verse. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean also. Well, that's the first part I want to talk about. Jesus was bothered, but he wanted to do something about it. Now, the next big idea this morning, I think it bothers all of us. If we're Americans, or we're Koreans, or we're Vietnamese or, or we're from Bolivia. I, I, think it, I think this is universal. I, I think whether or not you're a Christian or not, you're bothered by this. Whether you're a believer, whether you're in the church or outside the church, I think the next topic I want to talk about today, it, it, it affects all of us, and it's the family, and it's marriages. And all of us in this room understand that we're in trouble as a country. We're in trouble as a nation. We've got the family unit that's just coming off the rails, and we are beginning to, to unravel. And so we're all bothered by this in this room. Not only are we bothered by it, but we're actually going to build something to do something about this. Now, before I talk about that, I'm going to come up with nine, I came up with nine frequently asked questions about this building project. I, I just want to give you some statistics now, you can get overwhelmed with statistics real quickly, so I just want to give you three small statistics that have wide-ranging impact. So here's the statistic number one. Here it is. The divorce rate since 1960, I was born in 1960, the divorce rate in America since 1960 is two times the rate it was. So today... It's twice as much as, as in 1960. Now, I'm not here to beat you up if you're divorced. I'm here to say, I'm sorry. Because everybody in this room is impacted by divorce. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you've had a very painful divorce. But everybody in this room is impacted by divorce. A brother, a sister, 
a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a great friend. Everybody in this room is impacted by divorce. And divorce impacts every family economically. And it affects our welfare. And it affects even even illegitimate children. It affects all kinds of things that, that just unravel in our culture. So fact number one is we got a problem in this country, and that is that people are not staying married like we would hope they would. Number two, in 1970, 89% of all births were to married parents. Today, only 60% are, which means we have a whole lot of children being born to people before they get married, or we have a whole lot of children being born to people who just, who are just living together, right? Number three, in 1960, by the way, that was a really good year. Did I mention that? Did, did I mention that was a really good year? In 1960, over 72% of American adults were married. Today, only about 50% are. And so that, that, there's such a, a rise in pessimism and weariness about marriage. Comedian Chris Rock said this. Now, he is funny. And I don't know if he was trying to be funny with this or not, but he is funny. Comedian Chris Rock said this. He says, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? <laughs> and, and it kind of explains the rise in cohabitation today. But the problem with cohabitation is that doesn't really get you where you want to be either. In fact, there's so much evidence that people who live together after actually have more struggles than people who don't live together because it's not a covenant. It's not a promise. It's not a commitment. And so those are, those are just three little facts that, that I want to mention to you. So we're bothered by those numbers. We're bothered by Are you? Are you bothered by that? Does that, concern, does that impact your family? Has that impacted your life? I think it's impacted all of us. And so we're going to actually build a wedding chapel. We're going to build something, and I want to explain on nine different questions, and I'm going to try to answer these, on why we're going to build a tool. We're going to build a tool that's going to help us to be able to to use a facility to, to explain marriage. So I got nine frequently asked questions, and let's just go through them. And if you want to take notes, great. Uh, but just listen carefully if you will. Here's question number one. What's the vision? What's the vision for the wedding chapel? Outreach and evangelism. Say that with me. Outreach and evangelism. We're going to build a wedding chapel that's going to be used as a tool that will explain and communicate God's plan and God's purpose for marriage. Our wedding chapel is for the unchurched. Our wedding chapel is to reach out. Our wedding chapel is to do as many unchurched weddings as we possibly can every single year. Now, will we marry our people? Yes, we will. But who has top priority? Let me give you a real good example. My 18-year-old daughter, Emily, who I don't think is dating anybody at college, let's say in 10 years from now, we let her date somebody and she wants to get married. Okay? Let's just use that hypothetically. It might be 12 years the way it's going. But anyway, so, so Emily, on a Friday night at 7 o'clock, wants the wedding chapel. And there's somebody outside of Harborside, also on that same Friday night, that wants the wedding chapel at exactly the same time. Who's going to win? They are. We're going to ask the Harborsiders to adjust and the har- Harborsiders to adapt because our goal is to do as many unchurched weddings as we possibly can. So the vision for the wedding chapel is it's a tool. It's just a tool. 
It's a tool that we're going to use to leverage and explain God's plan and God's purpose for marriage to a culture that doesn't understand it. Question number two, well, how are you going to do that? How can a wedding chapel be a tool for evangelism? Well, let's call this couple Harry and Mary. And so Harry and Mary, they come to us, and they want, that was my grandparents' names, okay? So Harry and Mary come to us, and they want to get married. Harry, every couple that will get married at our wedding chapel has to listen to, let's say, a 45 or a 50-minute spiel on why God created marriage. And then during that spiel, 45 or 50 minutes, and Tom Goodlett and I are going to write this, on why God created It's the presentation of the gospel. So every couple that will get married at our wedding chapel, it's mandatory. They listen to a presentation on why God created marriage, not how. We always talk about the hows, how to communicate, how to have a budget, how to get along with in-laws. All that's good, especially how to get along with in-laws. That's a really good one, all right? But, but it's the why. And you ask couples why God created marriage, they don't know. They look at you like you fell off the turnip truck. And so we're going to explain the why God created marriage. And then, now they don't have to agree to it, but they do have to listen to it. So it's a 50-minute spiel, and we're going to communicate that to every couple who gets married. Question number three, will there be marriage mentoring? Yes, there will be. There certainly will be. In fact, we're going to need a whole bunch of you to help us with this. And so every couple that gets married at our wedding chapel, number one, they will listen to a 50-minute spiel on why God created marriage. And if they want it, this isn't mandatory. If they want it, we're going to provide for them a couple, let's say three months before their marriage and maybe three months after their marriage, who are going to be mentors with them and, and help walk them through that. Can you imagine? I was 23. Danita was 20. Can you imagine if somebody would have come alongside of us? If somebody would have come around us, can you imagine, would, would your marriage be better? Or would you have stayed married? Or would you be a better marriage partner had somebody done that to you? I think the answer is, is yes. Question number four. Is this a full-blown marriage ministry? It, it is. Well, I thought we already had a marriage ministry at Harborside. We do. And we have a great one. And the marriage ministry that we have now primarily focuses on couples who are already married. And we've got great marriage conferences here, great marriage small groups here, great marriage counseling here. This is on the front end, okay? This is before you get married. This is to Harry and Mary as they're contemplating marriage and they want a marriage venue. And so, and I'm just, and also by the way, um, just for information, we can and we only will marry heterosexuals. That's all we can do. That's in our documents. That's our 501C. And so I don't want to make a big deal of this. I want to be known for what we're for, not for what we're against. But as a church, all we will do is marry uh, one male to one female, and that's just what we do. So I... I I just, I, I want us to be known for what we're for, not, not where, what, we're, what we're against. Okay, the next, next question, okay? When will the wedding uh, chapel project begin? It already has. It's already began, begun. We've had one elder, civil engineer, working on this now for months, another elder who's on, on sabbatical working on this, several full-time staff people working on this, a committee. Uh, it's already 
they've already been working on this for, for now for, for a long time. If you've noticed, uh, we started actually the driveway about a week ago. So the driveway is going to be done. That was the first project. You get permission and approval on the driveway. This should be done in the next maybe three or four months. We'll have another access out of here. And now we have another committee who is working on a wedding chapel. All right, so it's already begun. Okay, the next question. When will wedding chapel be completed? August of 2016. That's our goal. August 2016. So you see the horse is already out of the barn. We've already got people that have been working on this to be able to complete this by then. Next question. Will the wedding chapel be used for any other purposes? You know, it will. It will. We'll probably do a whole lot of funerals in our wedding chapel. And our primary purpose of the wedding chapel is for weddings. What is it? It's outreach, outreach, outreach. But most of the time, a wedding's not going to be at 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning, right? A wedding's not going to be at, you know, 11 o'clock on a, on a Tuesday morning. So we're going to probably do a whole lot of funerals in the mornings whenever the need arises. But the primary purpose, again, is going to be outreach for evangelism. Will we use the wedding chapel for worship services? We will. We'll probably have a Sunday night service. We may start with a Sunday night service out there in the wedding chapel. Um, but we can also use it on Sunday mornings. We could have one, we could have two, we could have three Sunday morning worship services in our wedding chapel. We could do them the same times as this, or we could stagger the times. We haven't quite gotten that far yet. But it will be used for weddings, for funerals, and for worship services. Next, next question. Is there an estimated cost? Yes, about $1.5 million. So at our best guess at this point is about $1.5 million. It's going to be pretty, guys. It's going to be beautiful. If it's going to be for outreach, it has to be gorgeous. And if we're trying to reach these unchurched brides, it's got to be attractive. And so we're going to spend $1.5 million on this so far. All right, next question. I'm so glad you asked this question. I'm I'm honored that you would ask, what's our strategy to to pay for it? Well, my friends, we're going to do a one-year campaign, and we're going to start this next month, the month of May, from May to May, a one-year campaign, and we're going to pay cash. We're raising the money. We're not taking out a loan. We're paying cash for this. We we can do this. We, we, We can do this, and we're going to raise the funds, and so uh, April the 26th, actually a couple weeks from now, I'm going to explain kind of how we're going to do this, but we're going we're to start raising the funds for it. In fact, four families, we've not even put this on the radar, four families have already jumped into this, and so it's really awesome. We've already got uh, a little bit of money that the Lord's provided for us. So again, we're, we're going to raise the money, we're going to pay for it in a one-year campaign, okay? So what are we trying to do? We're trying to take people where they are and move them to where they need to be. That's what we see Jesus doing. Jesus doesn't make you jump through so many hoops or come up to a certain level before you can come to church or before you can become a Christian. Jesus Jesus takes us where we are. And, And isn't that what we do with our children here at our church? Isn't that what we're doing with our students? Isn't that what Jesus did with you? He took you where you were And he allows you then to move to where he wants you to be. And our goal as a church is we're bothered by the American family just unraveling. And we want to do something about it. 
we actually want to put a stake in the ground and say, all right, how can we communicate to as many couples as we possibly can God's plan and God's vision for godly marriages, godly moms, godly dads, godly homes, godly families. So we're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're going to put our energy into this ministry and try to do something. about. What are we saying? We want to reestablish God's vision and God's values for the home. And you know what else I see? I see this as a local mission. We always talk about, you know, this local mission, this local mission, this local mission, but it's always after the fact. What if we got on the preventative side? What, What if we got ahead of the game? How, how can we prevent welfare? How, how can we prevent economic disaster in the homes? How, how can we prevent domestic violence? How can we prevent... Do you, you see this? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing all these things. That's great. But why don't we get a little smarter and get on this side of it and do everything we can to try to prevent? And we'll do both. We'll absolutely do both. But I actually see this even as a local mission that will prevent a lot of calamity and a lot of disasters that will take place. So this Friday, we're going to ask us all to do something. This Friday, we're going to have a called fast. We want to ask you to fast this Friday and reconnect with your Heavenly Father in a great way. Take breakfast, take lunch if you can, and just spend time in prayer. Now, drink lots of water if you're diabetic or if if you're pregnant, then obviously maybe you can't do a everything fast, but, but do coffee or do Starbucks or do, do something that means something to you. We'll bankrupt Starbucks this, this next weekend, okay? But, 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 but pray. The, the, the point, again, is not the food. The point is the prayer, is that you spend Friday praying and connecting. Go to the park. Go out to the beach. Do, do, go somewhere where you can really connect with your Heavenly Father in a great and an awesome way. And spend that time praying and spend that time fasting. Now, in your bulletin, I've actually got some suggestions on what you, you fast for and what you pray about. Uh, you fast from food, but you pray about these things. So here, here, here are three things. Number one, we just ask you to be praying about the wedding chapel. So why don't we fast about the wedding chapel? Why don't we fast? Lord, in light of this giving opportunity that's going to come up this May, just a few weeks from now, what would you have me or us to do? And you know what? If you're married and you can't agree on this amount, give the lowest amount. We're building a wedding chapel to help build marriages and families. We don't want this to cause a problem. Duh, right? I'm serious about this. If God's in this, he'll provide all the money. When he's in it, he provides. So, Lord, in light of this giving opportunity, what do you want me to do? What would you have us to do? Number two, I think Easter is always a time to remember he came to save sinners. And so I would say, Lord, who are the three or four people that you want me to be, to be um, praying about? Who, who are three people in my life that I would really love for them to accept you as, as Lord and Savior? Maybe they're coworkers. Maybe they're family members. Maybe they are just people you know, outside of the state, and, and, and you're, they're, you're, they're your family somewhere else. But who are the three people that you want to be praying for and fasting for to accept Jesus as the Savior? And then number three, I think it's always good for you to pray for yourself. What are my three most pressing needs? I always think God wants you to pray for yourself. 
I always think he wants you to, because he wants you to be healthy. Because the healthier you are, the healthier then you can be for other people. It's just like the airlines put the oxygen mask on you first, then you're able to help other people around you. So what are your three most pressing needs? And we're going to ask you to fast. We're going to ask you to pray. And come back Friday night. Friday night, we're going to rearrange this room. We've got a band that's here. We've got candles on stage. Uh, Friday night is going to be a phenomenal event. We've got two services. And we'll break the fast at the 5 o'clock crowd and at the 7 o'clock crowd. Everybody's going to come at 5 o'clock so they can eat earlier probably. But out in the lobby, we'll have, you know, cheese and grapes and crackers and all kinds of stuff out there. So we, we want to fast together as a church and pray and pray and proclaim the goodness of God. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing this song together right now.